The Long Box Crusade presents the monthly Monday movie muckabout because the podcasting world really needs another movie review show. I am Rick, and I am a movie lover. Kind of like an Alcoholics Anonymous intro, but eh, I'm going to go with it. I have a very extensive collection of movies, and I'm often surprised when I run into someone who has not seen a movie that I call a classic. To rectify this, I will sit down with someone, inform them about the movie, make them watch the movie, and then grill them about their thoughts and impressions. Does that sound like fun? Okay. And with that, I'd like to introduce you to my first guest, Nicholas Prom from Comic Reflections. And Rick Meets the Legion and the Marvel Saga, <laughs> you know, but yes. Yes. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Well, not a problem. So is is the conceit of your show to always show someone a movie that they have never seen? That's the idea. Okay. So it's like one person coming in with knowledge about the movie, one person that has heard of the movie at least, but has never seen the movie. Okay. So I also am a movie lover. There's a lot of stuff that we're like in the zeitgeist of popular film from my adolescence or in just in my lifetime that I have missed and not seen because I've kind of tend to skewed towards the, like the psychotronic end of films. Yeah. So I've missed a lot of uh, quote unquote classics, particularly in the, from the nineties and two thousands. Yeah, and, and it's weird because I keep on hitting you with something and you give me a blank look. I'm like, oh, that's from such and such a movie. Yeah, I've never seen that. And then after I pick my job off the floor and say, what? <laughs> we have a conversation about why. So I thought this would be kind of fun. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who may have missed one or two movies here. And I think it'd be a nice conceit of a show that we could do. Just something that we can break up the monotony of another movie review show. So... Are you interested to find out about what I'm going to hit you with tonight? Right. I have some guesses. Oh, you do? What do you think I'm going to hit you with? You're probably going to hit me with... Because here's the thing. Here's some movies that I know I've told you I have never seen. Sure. Um, Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. The Usual Suspects. Mm-hmm. Um, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Those are like three that I, I know I, I've never seen and, and I know I've mentioned to you. And I would seen. love to hit you with any of those, but I didn't choose those. Really? I think you said... Correct me if I'm wrong, because we can always change this. You've never seen The Crow. I've never seen The Crow. So I'm going to hit you with The Crow tonight. Okay. I Okay. That That is a surprise. It was not even on my thought radar. But uh, but yeah, no, I've never seen The Crow. I, I did read the original J.O. Barr sure. comic. Wow, it's a bummer. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, He was even at a convention that we attended a couple summers ago, uh-huh. and I didn't even go to talk to him. Like I was like, yep, I read it. I don't care about it. I, I Yes, I would have brought my copy and I'd had him sign it. But Yeah, but to me, it's one of those weird guys like, I don't care about meeting Eastman and Laird. Sure. You know, like, you know, like. And I would go and meet them because I've got some turtle stuff. Right. But, so, Even I have some 80s turtle stuff, but I'm like, I'm, I'm really not a fan. So I'm talking about The Crow from 1994, and this stars Brandon Lee as Eric Draven, Rochelle Davis as Sarah, Ernie Hudson as Sergeant Albrecht. Oh, I love Ernie Hudson. And Michael Wincott as Top Dollar. That's just the higher names. You're going to recognize probably a few other people Michael in Wincott, there. But... Not Michael Winslow. No, Michael Wincott. Wasn't he? Because I'm thinking of the guy, the sound effect guy from the Police no, Academy. No, no, not him. No, no, no. It's not that kind of movie. <laughs> no, you're going to see, you're going to remember Michael Wincott. He's been, uh, oh, I'm going to blank on a few things that he's been. I'm, he's I'm been sure i A lot of him. stuff, yeah. What do you know about this movie, about The Crow? What, from your... I mean, I know that it is an adaptation of the independent comic. Yes. 
I know that stars the son of Bruce Lee, Brandon mm-hmm. Lee, who tragically died during the filming of this movie this picture. Correct. Yes. I know that there are several straight to video sequels. Well, one or two theatrical, and then several straight yeah. to video sequels, and even a t- short-lived TV series. Correct. Right? Correct. All kind of spun out of the same rough idea. There have been other comic book adaptations off of the same idea too. But this yeah. is kind of the this is kind of the real original bare bones tied it to the comic kind of a thing. Sure. I have read the comics. I'll be curious to see how much my memory is mm-hmm. and see how faithful it is. That's always kind of interesting. I feel like the indie comics that get adapted to film, they tend to be a bit more faithful. Yeah. Um, because they tend to be the stories, uh, they have, you know, a shorter history, publication history. Right. And they tend to, yeah, I don't know, they just they have a, a narrower scope of a, for a film. Like, uh, we mentioned the Ninja Turtles. Sure. Yeah. The first Ninja Turtles movie. Years later, I read some of those early Eastman and Laird comics. Mm-hmm. Holy crap! Is that first movie really faithful? Oh, to yeah, the comics? yeah. It it's, it's, takes away from the, what you remember from the cartoons. Yeah. It goes more towards the deep, dark, gritty nature that Eastman and Laird had for their original run of comics. Right, and uh, so I will say, and it's been many years since I've seen that movie. But aside from a really meh, unappealing April O'Neil. It's a one of the better comic book films up to that point. Sure, I can. I mean, I there's can, not a lot. There's not a lot that, that's there. good at, at that point. Really, at that point, all you have are some of the old movie serials, right. the first two Superman movies, and Batman '89. Sure, that's all that there is. Right. I think by the time that movie came out, like the Rocketeer was coming soon. Uh, but Dick, uh, you're Dick right. Tracy you're right. We a, didn't have we didn't have much more. So the fact that they were going for more of the indie comic movies. It really helped pave the way for some of the big budget moments to come in when they saw kind of how to do it right. When you and look at the early '90s, there was kind of a wave of these films, sure. and uh, we had it was around that same time. We also had Blade too. Blade was around. Blade was a number of years later. Blade was like late '90s. Uh, it was late the Crow 90s? was like mid '90s at the Crow late '94. Yeah, I call that mid. Yeah, um, but you know '94, I think. That's also the year we got You're right. the Blade, shadow. Blade was Blade was ninety eight, but but still Blade kind of built off of what Lucro started at that time. So, but yeah, you, we have a lot more of these test cases before the big ones come in. Following Batman nineteen eighty nine, there's definitely a wave throughout the nineties sure. of comic book adaptations or superhero films. Yeah, and I honestly. A lot of them are pretty good. Yeah, some some of them are good. You know, uh, some of them are kind of uh, it's okay. Punisher was around around in there the too. The Dolph Lundgren Punisher, I think, ages better in contrast once you've seen the other yeah. Punisher movies. Yeah, there's some stinkers like the that '90s Captain America one. Ooh, ooh, it's just so boring. Yes. Um, the never released Fantastic Four movie that everybody's seen. I try to watch it. It's just it's, it's unwatchable. Yeah. It's great to make fun of. Oh, one, ones that are of. good: Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. The Rocketeer, uh, Dick Tracy, and, and you've already mentioned it. But let's not really shy away from the, the fact. Phantom. Let's not really shy away from the fact that we did have Batman '89, yeah, and we did have the first two Superman movies. So we knew it could be done. It's just yeah. we didn't know how to bring it into more yeah. of the modern time. Yeah, and no people. Sp- now this movie that we're going to watch. Yeah, people have spoken highly of it. Mm-hmm. I just never saw it. And we are going to rectify that tonight. Okay. We're going to go ahead and stop here. We are going to we are going to have an intermission while we have him watch the movie, and then we'll come back and see what's what. Grab the popcorn, boys and girls, and let's watch 1994's The Crow. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul the land of the dead. 
But sometimes, just sometimes, the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. Gasoline, I smell. <laughs> Victims, aren't we all? So, Nicholas Prom and I just finished watching 1994's The Crow. Let me give a quick synopsis of the film. The Crow is a 1994 American supernatural superhero film directed by Alex Proyas, written by David Cho and John Shirley. The film stars Brandon Lee in his final film appearance. The film is based on James O'Barr's 1989 comic book, The Crow, and tells the story of Eric Draven, a rock musician who is revived from the dead to avenge his own death, as well as the rape and murder of his fiancée. The lead actor, Brandon Lee, was accidentally wounded on set during a filming of a defective blank and later died in a hospital during surgery. With only eight days left of production, unfinished scenes that were to feature him were dealt with using a rewritten format in the script, a stunt double, and digital special effects. The film is dedicated to both Lee and his fiancée, Eliza. Despite the several production setbacks due to Lee's death, The Crow was well-received critically for its unique visual style, premise, emotional depth, and its tribute to its star and his fiance. Yeah, I, I will admit that I took that from Wikipedia because it encapsulated the film very well. I had the opportunity to watch this with Nicholas, and when it said at the end, in, uh, dedicated to Brandon and Eliza, he looked at me and asked who Eliza was, and it took me a moment to say that it was his fiance because it still gets me choked up a little bit. There's something about this film that, because of the subject matter and because of what happened during filming and because of the dedication and because of just everything tied up into it, there's an emotional resonance if you know that story, which I think helps the film in a very macabre way almost. Because the film itself, there are some definite defects in the film, but I think the fact that there's a bit of nostalgia and a bit of just sad symmetry with the film it, it 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 kind of helps a little bit but that's my my kind of gut reaction i would like to move on to what i call the first reel and have nicholas tell me about his first impressions and how it matched up with his expectations nicholas so i've had a lot of people hype this movie up for me a lot over the years i've never I, this is the first time i've seen it i liked it it's not a great film. It definitely shows its age. It's very 90s, which is, <laughs> uh, you know, which is a detractor point for me. But but also, on that same token, it is so of the moment of when it's made that it's kind of a nice, it's a good time capsule for the period. 
Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you a story. For another movie that I didn't see in the 90s, but everyone like ranted and raved about uh, was The Fifth Element. Okay. Okay. And I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago. And I couldn't understand why people loved it so much. I thought it was a pile of crap. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just like... It was just, I thought it was insipid, extremely 1990s, and just bad. I just didn't think it's a good picture. This, I don't have all of those negative feelings about. I think it is, again, like I said, not a great film, but it uh, enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to like just rush back and go watch it, but there are a lot of familiar faces in this movie mm-hmm. that really like may help me. Like, I love Ernie Hudson. Yeah. Pointed out um, several character actors that were like, oh, yeah, that guy, that guy, that guy. Tony Todd is in this movie. Yes. I love Tony Todd. Um, help me out. Something, the guy, he played Luthor in uh, The Warriors, and he's the guy that Arnold promises to kill last but lied yes, in that's, Commando. That, that's T-Bird. That's David Patrick Kelly. Yeah, David Patrick Kelly, who it took me half the movie to re- <laughs> re- recognize who it was because he's, you know, facial hair and he looks differently. <laughs> so there's some fun stuff there. It, it, it was just, just some warm, sure. warm feelings toward some of these actors. It's interesting because I think because of the death of Brandon Lee and other things i think people there's a lot of focus on this film that you know there's a cult around it that had he lived i think this movie kind of would have kind of come and gone without a whole lot of fanfare and that is an interesting point that is a very interesting point and it's one i want to address right up front you know from looking at the film and 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 all of the talk that's been done over it. I know that Michael Massey, the actor who played Fun Boy, during one of his scenes where they were filming the initial attack that occurs in their apartment, where they come into the apartment where Eric Draven and his fiance are there. And well, it's actually his fiance that's there and they rape and attack her. And then Eric Draven comes in. It's during the part where Eric Draven comes in that Fun Boy was supposed to have taken up a gun and shot Eric Draven. What happened the day before with that with that gun is they were doing a close-up shot of the gun, and so they had an actual uh, fake bullet that was in there. During the process of shooting the gun, part of the bullet got pushed into the actual barrel. The next day, and, and the prop master who should have been there to clear the gun wasn't there. The next day, they refilled the gun with extra powder for a fake shot, you know, just an action shot with a blank in there. Unfortunately, with the extra powder, it pushed that little piece of brass that was in the barrel and made it a projectile that hit Brandon Lee, and that's what killed him. And that was my, that was the actor, Michael Massey, who played Fun Boy, that actually shot the gun. Uh, it affected him his entire life. He never watched the film. It, he had taken a year off of acting. It, it affected him uh, his entire life until he passed away from stomach cancer, and I think it was 2006. Oof. Yeah, but... It affected everybody on the film. I mean, I remember that, you know, there was a lot of hype for this film, and then the film was shut down. They didn't know how they were going to finish it. They still had a lot of pickup work to do. They used a lot of stunt doubles and everything else. You are right. I don't... I think this movie probably would have hit a certain peak at some point, but probably wouldn't have had as much staying power because of everything else that was with the film. It goes one way or the other on that, about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But, I mean, you can still see, even in the film, even though it's got some real problems, there is some real problems with the film, you could still see that there is something about Brandon Lee in this performance. It 
he gave it his all. This was his starring role, and, and he sure. gave it his all. Yeah, he only had a handful of other movies before this. I mean, there was there was Rapid Fire, there's Showdown in Little Tokyo, and there's Laser Mission, none of which I've seen, but I've heard great things about um, Showdown in Little Tokyo. It's him and Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, um, he's very likable in this movie. Yes. Some of the dialogue is kind of, sure. kind of stilted and corny, right. but um, it's really sad to see... Someone who clearly has, who's very photogenic, mm-hmm. who has potential. There's something there with Brandon Lee, and I think it, there's so much unrealized th- that could have been. I mean, like, sure. I mean, he was never going to be his father. No, he could have had a, a decent career in action films and other films as well. well yeah, too. and it's like he was just starting to take off. Yeah, I think if had had Bruce Lee lived, I think he'd be very f- proud of his son. Yeah. Let me, let me hit you with this. I want to find out, and this will help us kind of discuss the film as we move through it, what your top hits and low blows, what were the highs and the lows of this movie? So, Tom, let's talk about some of the highs that you saw in this movie. What were some of the things that you really liked and that you would come back for? Hmm. I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, I hate to go with a negative, but I like, uh, I think good movies... Mm-hmm. Unless the period itself and a, a specific event, you know, in an era or something, uh, is the focus of the film, I think it's always better to try to be timeless. Mm-hmm. And this movie has so many things that just date stamp it at, you know, 1993, 1984. True. And that hurts to me because I think it's a garbage era. <laughs> Uh, that hurt, to me hurts the the film. It it kind of like a detracting point for me to want to rewatch it. It's kind of it's kind of funny you say that because I, I know that throughout the film where we're watching it together, I kept on saying I love the soundtrack. The soundtrack is a banging soundtrack. This is still one of my favorite go to soundtracks, especially from the '90s era. I loved listening to soundtracks growing up, and this is one that I had in heavy rotation because I loved the music of it. But at the same time, it's another one of these films that the music is heavily tied with it. The look and cinematography yeah. is heavily tied with it. I can see what you mean. If you don't like that aesthetic, if you don't like that yeah. that ambiance of it, yeah, yeah it, it's hard to really enjoy it. Yeah. And now, I enjoy the soundtrack for sure. the most part. They throw a little bit of grunge in there, which is like poison to me. <laughs> but, and I don't mean the band. I mean, you know, death. Uh, well, okay. Uh, so those are some lows. Let's get to some highs. Why do you, I mean, there were some parts that you did enjoy about this film. Well, I think there's some really nice emotional stuff. I mean, it's such a, the whole story is such a bummer. And that's sure. how I felt when I read the comic book. I'm like, ew. Like it's, like it's good, quote unquote, but it's, uh, it's a drag, you know. Yeah, what I mean? and, and and the comic and the story have a lot of similarities in that. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, what it's I rem- a faithful ad- adaptation. What I remember of the comic, yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty faithful. There's a lot of great cinematography in this picture. Yes, there are. We are in this scummy city that looks totally lived in yes. and real, like just like oh, this is the dr- lowest dregs. Like every set in this movie is either crowded and cluttered or just like full of trash and just like disgustingness and you you like, feel the filth while you're watching the movie yeah and so it's kind of gross 
but you are in a fully immersive experience. Like it's, mm-hmm. there are, aside from a couple of corny set pieces, like why don't Eric and Shelly have, you know, a date of birth and year, year of birth and death <laughs> on their tombstones. It's like, oh, <laughs> the prop department forgot that, you know. Like, why does it matter? And I just got done saying the movie should try to be timeless. Sure. And that's one way to make it timeless. That is true. And, and it also doesn't matter to the story either. The, the story gives you the, the, the time cues that are important. This happened then. This is a year later. Right. And that's, that's all that matters. Other than that, they want to put this in any place they can. So it's kind of going to, that's a good timeless piece. But I like what you said about how the movie feel, makes you feel it. And I think that you're correct with that. The dark visuals, the very exquisite set pieces that are designed to be a trashed in city. The soundtrack, which kind of, like you said, it's grunge, and grunge has that kind of grimy, But there's some rough cool edge. stuff on the soundtrack, too. I mean, The Cure is on the soundtrack. But at the same time, The Cure still, it, it has that rougher, edgier, uh, you know, unfinished varnish. That's a good thing with The Cure, but that helps, that helps paint the picture of the city as well, too. Yeah. And that's a fair point. Like I said, I do like it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to rush out and, and see the movie again sure. anytime soon. But it's pretty cool. So uh, what did you like about... Uh, what about the fight scenes? Let's talk about the fight scenes because it is a f- there is an action movie element to it. It yeah. is a superhero movie. I feel like, like a lot of pre-2000s superhero fare, the fight choreography is pretty simplistic. Mm-hmm. For what it is, it's like this movie is, is more about the heart and more about the story of vengeance sure than it is about seeing people you know seeing a guy kick butt i did like your reaction when um the couple of reactions one the big fight scene where eric comes into the den of thieves where there's all of the bad guys sitting around the table with the guns and money and drugs yeah and he comes in and over a period of time just kicks a lot of butt yeah that was one scene which i think was done fairly well yeah i mean it's quite action-paced it's very fast and you see a lot of good death a lot of good kills and then there's also the um the final scene where he's up against the main character uh, the, the main, main bad guy top dollar uh played by michael wincott and in that scene you know he they're on the top of a rooftop it's a big gothic type of setting right in the rain gets kicked down and Put on top of the golem and the blood just comes gushing out yeah there was a cool scene like he, the, when the bad guy gets impaled and then you see the blood rush out and that was a really cool shot i'm trying so hard to remember what i've seen michael wincott in because he looks familiar but i can't <laughs> oh, really place you've seen him. him in a lot of stuff trust me on that yeah. my friend you have seen him in a lot of stuff he, his weird texan accent that he's yeah. got in this movie that's like are, uh, this he, guy, was, he was born in scarborough ontario uh, eventually moved to new york city but yeah he has been in a ton of stuff um back in the 90s some of the stuff that that might have seen he had a bit part in uh count of monte cristo in 2000s but i know he was an alien resurrection he played one of the parts i always remember this guy of gisborne in robin hood prince of thieves his favorite line but why a spoon cousin because he's talking to alan rickman who's playing the sheriff of nottingham yeah i was and, gonna say didn't alan, hans and, gruber play the sheriff of nottingham yeah 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 yeah, yeah. You've I'm seen him, him stuff. Hans Gruber. Yeah, you've seen him in stuff, and he has a very distinct voice and distinct look. Yeah. You, you know, he's been around, and you've seen him doing a lot of that stuff. It's got some actors that have done some things. 
it's got some scenes that I think are pretty good in there, but it's... Like I said, for me, I saw it in the time period. For me, it was one of those pieces that hit me really hard, and I remembered it really well, and I always enjoyed this movie. I, I've got the poster on my wall. I've got the Todd McFarlane action figure still in its in its um, shrink wrap uh, selling. I, I, I like this movie a lot. This has a lot of feelings for me. How many full bags of popcorn would you give it? No halvesies. One through five. Five being, I want five bags of popcorn. One, one bag of popcorn. I will rate this a three. It's a fine film. I'm not going to be going out and seeing this again anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But it was cool. I'm glad that I have I've now seen it. But I think some things are like some movies... Kind of maybe like the thing with the fifth element is mm-hmm. you really got to see them in their time. I agree. And maybe not especially in their time, but at a certain time in your life. Well, I, I, think I, I can I think agree that, with that. I, th- I think there's a mixture in there because there are certain movies that I never saw at the time that they were put out. And I think we were talking about this earlier. We both love Highlander. I don't think either of us saw that when that came out in the, in the early 1980s. But it Mid-80s, came. But yeah, yeah. We saw it at a point in time where it hit us. Yeah. And well, it stick with, stuck with us. It, Highlander is a better film than this. I love Highlander, but I think I might fight you on that. <laughs> uh, Highlander is a better movie than this. It is has more of that timeless quality, even ironically. Yeah, ironically. ironically. Yeah. Because it's, or maybe it works because it's a movie set over a course of centuries. Sure. And yeah, it takes place in the 80s. I love the 80s. I, 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 uh, here's the thing. I love the 80s, don't like the 90s. So, like, it works for me in a lot of different ways. Like, but if I hated the 80s and I watched The Highlander, I probably would think it was a crap movie. Okay. Maybe. But if I had, maybe if I had seen The Crow in 1994... I would probably, I would, I mean, and I don't dislike this movie. Sure, sure. I understand. I would probably have a higher opinion of it. Okay. I would maybe even rate it a four. Or, since we're doing no halvesies, <laughs> uh, I, I probably wouldn't rate it a five. If the five is like the great, you know, sure, like, no. Sure, I understand that. Yeah, uh, so, fair to Midland for me, really. That's good. On this movie. This is a bit of an experiment with me still. Um, thank you for le- for playing along with me of course and i i i want to hit you up again for a couple other movies in the future i'm sure we could probably do that i've rattled off a handful of quote-unquote classic movies from the 90s that i totally missed that we could do so but before i go i want you to go ahead and tell me the plugs of where else people can find you well i'm the host of comic reflections and a couple of spinoffs all of my shows can be found under the Comic Reflections feed on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter, at Comic Reflection, or on Instagram, at PromCakes. I think that's a pretty good uh, plug right there. Thank you all for listening to this, our beginning episode, because I can't say inaugural right now. Inaugural, inaugural, inaugural. <laughs> Movie muckabout. And yes, that's what I'm going to call it, because, eh, I don't care. So, thank you all very much for joining us, and uh, grab the popcorn and pull up a seat for our next episode, coming sometime in the future. Take care. Our theme music is The Entertainer by Kevin McLeod at Competech.com, and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution for a license. Mm-hmm.